0: I don't think there will be ever a situation in time where, you know, we or every business should say, you know, we've done it Mm -hmm. because there is always competition and, you know, companies are always getting better and better. Mm -hmm. And if you stop, then someone else will take your chair Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and then you need to catch up. Sure. So it's uh it's a never it's a never ending game. Actually the the companies are I would say ev- like in nature there is evolution, right? Mm-hmm. The same things are is with, with business. Some companies die, some companies grow, there are new companies popping up like every day. It's never ending story. Mm-hmm. So I I wouldn't say there is a point of time or, let's say, milestone achieving which you can say, you know, we, we, we've done it.
2: Hello, Recursive community. Our guest today is one of the co-founders and a board member of Scale Focus, Viktor Bilansky. He started his career in the field of software development two decades ago. In 2012, a pivotal moment in his career came up as he joined forces with four other professionals to establish Scale Focus. Today, with seven delivery locations in Bulgaria, Turkey, North Macedonia, the company provides tailored software solutions and services that empower Fortune 500 companies, innovative startups and established leaders to innovate, grow and meet business and technology challenges. In the past decades, KOFocus has developed hundreds of successful projects on an international level. The company is one of the biggest IT employers in Bulgaria and allows local talent to work on impactful projects for various international clients in a number of industries: IT, financial services, healthcare, energy and utilities, and more. Victor is heavily involved also in the local startup ecosystem as an angel investor, a community supporter, an event organizer, and he is also an avid sports and music enthusiast (laughs) victor i'm very happy that you're here welcome to the recursive podcast
0: hi Irina. thank you for the invitation i'm really happy to be here
2: i usually do that with my guests i bring them a bit back in time to the beginning of their career and i wanted to ask you a bit about the moments just before establishing scale focus you had 10 years and even more of um, technical experience How did you decide to embark then on an entrepreneurial journey? What motivated you and how did you become one of the founding members?
0: Well, it's uh, an interesting uh, story. I've always been very passionate software engineer since the childhood. I remember I started doing software development when I was around nine years old.
2: Wow, that early!
0: Yeah, it was. W-
2: what uh, computer did you have back <clears throat> right then?
0: It was uh, Pravets 8M. <laughs> I remember
2: my, yeah, yeah,
0: my my father brought it home, mm-hmm. and uh, I remember he had a plenty of books about computers and engineering, and back then we didn't have internet, so we I had a plenty of time, so I was reading a lot of books, and was playing computer games doing software development on BASIC and LOGO. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was my passion.
2: What was your favorite game back then? Do you remember the name?
0: Uh, Moon Patrol and uh, Polo, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I think I came up a bit later. I'm not sure if it was a private or maybe a later version. But I still remember I was uh, operating on DOS. And one of my favorite games was Sokoban on one of yes. those big diskettes <laughs> anyway cool
0: i remember also we were fired because i have a younger brother who mm. is also in the software engineering field and we were constantly fighting uh, about who is going to to play on the computer <laughs> so one of the first programs that i did was um you know uh, back then the, the computers they uh, didn't have uh, an os mm. so you had to boot the os from uh, from floppy disk
1: yeah
0: and uh in all of the floppy disk i develop a basic program combined with an assembler program. so it uh uh, so in order to start using the computer it asks for a password
1: (laughs) Uh, so so
0: (laughs) but the 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 funny part was that uh my brother managed to to hack hack it (laughs) (laughs) amazing <laughs> I was, oh, amazing. Uh, I was uh, very surprised so you know we are we were having fun with with computers and software engineering since we were kids
2: how did you how did he manage to hack you he just guessed what, what it
0: there was a, actually there was a very short period of time where you can press specific uh, keyboard sequence yes and uh, apparently he was playing a lot with that and managed to somehow, uh, somehow break it. I don't know exactly what he did, but you know <laughs> he he showed me that. I was uh, quite surprised.
2: What what became of him now today? Is he an uh, engineer?
0: He's a, yes, he's a software development manager in an American uh, software company.
2: Wow, nice! <laughs> the early days. Yes. Uh, where was that in Smolen?
0: Yes, uh, oh, cool. we bought our. Mm-hmm. born and raised in Smolen.
2: Yes. OK, and uh, you worked then later on uh, as a software engineer. You studied in Plovdiv, as far as I remember.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs> I studied in the Technical University uh, in, uh, in Plovdiv. My first job was uh, uh, as an uh, administrator in internet company mm. uh, for six months. After that, I went to, uh, to do an internship in, in Germany, in Berlin, in Deutsche Telekom, Whoa. as a software developer. Back then, I was developing in Java and C++. So they were looking for someone who, who can code on both Java and C++. I went there. I did the internship for, for the summer.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I came back and started in a British company as a junior software developer.
2: Wow, that laid actually a very great foundation for your career.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah.
2: Wow, amazing. And um, you started in a British company and you lived abroad? or
0: No, no, it you, was in Plotiv. It was in Plovdiv, Okay. Yeah, I started there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: The, the funny story is that at the same day, um, I started together with Ivan Ivanov. Who is now the ceo of uh, scale focus so we really? started together more than 20 years ago at the same day as a software junior software developers
2: <laughs> oh okay that's serendipitous
0: yeah
2: amazing and did, and you, after, yeah. did and,
0: you? and after that i spent there three years and that after that Uh, 2004 I moved uh, here to Sofia Mm -hmm. to back then uh, MTEL now A1 Mm. and um, I was again software engineer doing some software development for MTEL. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. And when did the idea of a common venture came up with Ivan?
0: I spent seven years at uh, MobileTel Mm -hmm. and then I was I wanted to do something myself. Uh, there, I worked with many software providers, mm-hmm. and um, I was sure that I can do. If if we find the, the 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 right team, then we can do great things together.
2: That you can do better. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
0: Well, that's. I, the I was trying to be, be a little bit modest, but um, <laughs> and uh, 2012. Actually, 2011, I, I left, uh, left uh, mm-hmm. MobileTel. And then a few months later, together with the other co-founders, we, we created the, the company.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Were you thinking that you're taking on a lot of risk back then?
0: Yes. Yes. Um, there was definitely uh, a risk because mm-hmm. i had a great job at a great company that mm-hmm. i wanted to do something something more
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, i was sure that even if if we fail which was not very likely <laughs> but uh, i'm going to i'm going to be able to to find something else to find another job or something that mm-hmm something that i will like and love to do
2: i remember the first time when i decided that i would like to try myself as an entrepreneur i was very scared um i wasn't happy with my current job back then and i was 27 and i was thinking that if i want to do something risky and crazy then it should be now because later life becomes even more complex and uh yeah, it, the, the time is now. And I was still very scared. And then I went to a fellow entrepreneur and asked him, how did he feel? How did he make the decision? And he asked me one very important question. He asked me, OK, if you fail, what is the worst thing that can happen to you? <laughs> and I started thinking and I thought, well, I would be homeless. I wouldn't be able to pay my rent. And then he goes, well, come on, you're going to come on my couch. That's not even that big of an issue. <laughs> yes. And this is the thing that when you realize that you already have like a fundament in your life, you have the skills, you can find a job, even if it's not the best. At this point, I was always, um I was convinced that, If I fail, I can always find a job as a waitress because I was waitressing (laughs) at all. So I can feed myself, even if it's harsh. Then I can make these jumps and I can try something even riskier. Um, And uh, I think sometimes we're afraid of things which are very abstract, but if we, you know, think them... if you kind of like scale them down to the very basic it's actually not that bad nothing so bad can happen to you
0: absolutely i i fully agree Mm. and actually i believe that if you have a passion Mm. if you can find the the right people and work really hard then your chances of success are much higher Mm -hmm. because you know that theoretically and from Statistical point of view, you have like less than five chance mm-hmm. of success. But again, having passion is is the most important thing. And when I was uh, creating the company, uh, let's say the financial goals, they were not the the prime motivator. Mm-hmm. The most important thing for me was to to do what I love to do
1: mm.
0: in technology in software development, having a great team together, enjoying your work. And as I said, if you combine this with a lot of work, then your chances of success are very high. Mm-hmm. And this is what, what we did, actually. All of the other co- co-founders, they are great people. Actually, for, for every startup, the most important thing is to find the right, the right co-founders. And yeah. that actually it's number one reason why startup failed because, because problems between be, be, between the the co-founders. It in, is true. Yeah, yes, the most in, in our case, mm-hmm. all of the other at the beginning, uh, four people. Now we are, uh, we are back then we were five all together. Now we are four.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, all of them are very, they're great people and very successful. So I think that was. The most important thing, and then, after that, of course, the 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 people that you attract, that you hire, uh, you need to make sure that they have the same values. That you you create a culture which is which enables people to grow, even to fail in some cases. Mm-hmm. Because in our journey, we we've had many small failures, I would say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But as Elon Musk says if you don't fail sometimes you're not innovative enough Mm -hmm. because it's not possible to be successful in every small thing that you do but actually when you fail sometimes that's a learning experience and that that should make you even stronger the next time you try something similar
2: it is a lesson definitely Um, you mentioned a couple of interesting (coughs) aspects that i would like to ask you about Mm -hmm. so Obviously, you founded the company with co-founders that you tested in time, and I think you can safely speak about how to pick the right co-founder. And I think this is very could be very interesting for you know the int- entrepreneurs of the next generation. What did you learn about picking co-founders? What are the qualities that you would be looking at if you had to start all, all over again?
0: Well, that's a very difficult uh, question. Um, I don't think there is a general recipe of how to Mm -hmm. to find a co-founder. Otherwise, uh, they they would have been some some books, some you know,
1: uh, (laughs) uh, how Mm
0: -hmm. to say best practices about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you need to to sort of sense it to have a feel Mm -hmm. about the people. And ideally, you need to spend some some time with with them to understand more about them, about their values, about their motivators, what motivates them. Mm -hmm. And uh, these people should be ideally people with great inner drive,
1: Mm.
0: Uh, people who want to achieve great things together, people who can work with other people because in every business teamwork is the most important quality yes because if you want to be successful you cannot achieve it uh, on your own only you need to have a great people around you Mm -hmm. and you need to start with the with the co-founders and then of of course the next layer the top management and and so on so it's Mm -hmm. never-ending game by the way it's never-ending game and for every business you constantly need to to be able to attract new Mm -hmm. new blood if you will also to to have a a, let's say uh drive for growth Mm -hmm. constantly
2: yeah how conscious were you when you created the culture of the company i mean of course in some way the culture will be um, part of the founding team yes it will be you know a shadow of the of the founding team but then you start hiring the first employees and what were you looking at back then what kind of qualities <clears throat> did you have to like them in some way or
0: not mm-hmm. necessarily actually um, for me when hiring engineers it's uh, it's relatively easy mm-hmm. because you know when you spend you know half an hour with that person when you talk about technology about the things that he or she has learned um about the let's say some basic concepts about what books they read how they improve themselves because you know in our in our world, it's uh, very important to constantly learn. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you see all these qualities in a person, then most likely th- this person uh, will do well. Also, many times I'm looking for, let's say, good sense of humor because mm-hmm. I personally believe that work should be fun. And uh, if, if work is fun, then it's not work anymore. Mm-hmm. and if it's not work anymore then you you are able to spend many hours with with your colleagues in order to achieve great things together
2: i've always experienced you as uh, you know one of the most fun people around me or yes. even in a crowd whenever i have met you and i always wondered are you like that in your managerial position you know do you switch off and then you become you know the serious manager
0: <laughs> most of the uh, most of the time i'm i'm fun yeah uh, of course when things don't go well then mm-hmm. of course not because you know it's not uh, at the end of the day it's it's a business and we need to uh, deliver results to our customers and our shareholders yes, of course. so as long as we deliver those results then work is fun <laughs> if, if we are off and some things or, or some people are not doing great then it's not fun anymore, but that's that's part of the, the business.
2: It is, it is. Speaking of business, <clears throat> tell me, what was the vision that you had back then when you when you started when you founded Scale Focus? And did that have to do with the name?
0: <laughs> yes, actually, the name was invented together with the, with the other co-founders. Our idea was that we want to create a big international company out of Bulgaria, because back then we knew that we have a great technology talent, great engineering skills, however, there weren't that many successful IT companies, only a couple of them. And we wanted to show that here, from Bulgaria and from the region, we can create a big international company, and we are now on the right track, Mm -hmm. I would say
2: so you're not there yet there is still well more
0: to go well depends on how big are your goals and dreams right <laughs> uh, right now we have customers in more than I would say 30 different countries mm. we have entities in uh, Germany UK US um, more than 95% of our customers and revenue are outside of Bulgaria yeah. so from that perspective I would say we are in an international company. You are. However, the, the engineering talent at the moment, it's primarily here in the region, Bulgaria, North Macedonian, and Turkey. <laughs> so from that perspective, there are plenty of opportunities for growth.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I'm just testing how ambitious you are. So <clears throat> it was a decade ago since you established the yes, company. 11 now- years ago. I have also some other numbers. The yearly turnover is over 40 million. (laughs) Euro. Euro. Um, You have customers in Western Europe and also in the US. You mentioned 30 countries. Um, Tell me, which were the pivotal moments that you can now trace back in time where you say, okay, this is where, you know, the... The track of the company was laid to become what it is today. Which are the most um, significant moments where you felt like, okay, yeah, we made the right decision. We didn't know how to go forward, and I'm sure that you had a lot of situations where you didn't know how to go forward, because you cannot copy paste a model that was already existing. Yeah.
0: I wouldn't <clears> say there is a one or two or three, let's say, pivotal moments.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: for us every month every month every queue every year we're reflecting on on our past and trying to understand what are our weaknesses and how we can do better wow so it's a never-ending game um and i think that should be the the mindset of every growing company because right now the business environment it's changing extremely fast uh, as you can see can see now with, with AI, with ChatGPT, things are changing faster than ever. We're
2: going to get to that. Uh, yes. <laughs> and
0: I, I want to say that you need to be, how to say, constantly uh, looking to, to improve yourself,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: the, the management of the company, and all the employees of the company if you want to be competitive. Because the competition is crazy for every mm-hmm. business, no matter what you do. And you simply need to be much better than than the competitors, mm-hmm. and if you stop doing that, some of them will not. they will continue improving their companies, and at certain point they will be just better than you so it's never ending game-
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure of that <clears throat> you mentioned a couple of small mistakes that you made over time, but still many you
0: mistakes have. not, not, not.
2: <laughs> but you. M- mentioned also that you managed to establish this culture where you um, can learn from failure where failure becomes not uh, a blocker in your way but uh, and a, it's not something that you're ashamed of but it's something worth uh, I wouldn't say necessarily celebrate but um, it becomes a valuable lesson mm-hmm. can you maybe share on um, an example of a situation like that
0: the 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 biggest failure we had uh in the past was related with our ambition we were mm-hmm. very ambitious to grow very aggressively and uh, during the the COVID, we had very difficult time where we needed to lay off people it was it was terrible uh for us it was big shock and I think that was the the, the biggest lesson that that uh, that le- that we learned that sometimes being very aggressive and very ambitious could be dangerous. Because mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately, sometimes there black swan events, some things that you mm-hmm. cannot predict. Um, I think uh, right now we are much more robust mm. uh, in you know expecting what can what can go wrong not not with us but with the with the overall market and uh that was i would say the 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 biggest failure that that we had but thanks thanks to that i would say now we are much more stronger Mm -hmm. and uh, i'm I'm sure that we'll continue the growth in much more predictable way i would say
2: Mm I'm sure that it was uh, also a very difficult time for you as uh, as a yes. leader.
0: Yes, it was terrible. It was terrible.
2: It takes a toll.
0: But as um, as, as we can see right now, such things are uh, part of the business, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and you need to to be able to do as much as possible to. To, to, to prevent such things. And you know we are seeing this in the US, in all of the major companies, in Salesforce, <laughs> Google, Microsoft,
1: Facebook, and I'm sure everyone.
2: All of them are, you know, so I think there are, of course, such a situation can happen to most of the companies, I think. Yes. And what makes a difference is how you do it, yes. I guess. Uh, And we know of many examples, especially in the States, where the whole thing is not done in a humane way. So I think this is what makes a difference and what stays in history. It's not the mistake, but in a way how you handled it afterwards.
0: Fully agree, yes. Um. The other mistakes that uh, that, uh, we did, we were trying to do too many things at once. Doing so many initiatives, so many projects, products. And uh, we learned that you need to have the right focus to focus on the things that you're doing well.
2: Scale focus. <laughs> yes. So
0: nice. we, we, at certain point, we focused more on the scale part rather than the focus. <laughs> and we realized that. And now focus is uh, also extremely important. Mm-hmm. And in our case, what we do uh, best is developing Projects and products for our customers innovating together together mm-hmm. with them with the newest technologies, and you know this is what we do great, and we will continue to do that
2: Can I ask you personally as a fellow entrepreneur about you know establishing the discipline of focus um, in our team, I can proudly say that most of the employees are very Entrepreneurial and they're very, which is great, which, which is, is great. great. We, and it, it makes them very enthusiastic to start new projects, to test new things, even to test a bit, you know, with new technologies. Although we're no technical people, yes. we're journalists. Um, and sometimes it feels like there is too much going on and maybe we're losing the focus. Yes, so, definitely. um, how do you, first of all, how do you know that as a leader? And second of all, how do you establish the focus? Um, did you hire external consultants here or... Because you're entrepreneurial yourself, you also want to innovate and start new shiny projects and, you know, have your own pet projects and uh, break out. You want to break out the routine. This is, yes, unfortunately, what's uh, the nat- the nature of entrepreneurs, I think. Yes.
0: Well, in our case, it was a little bit easier because More than 90% of our revenue comes from the software services that that we do Mm -hmm. and you know we started experimenting with with some products with not enough let's say uh, attention because of course we need to uh, to look after what makes the where the, the cash cow is yes and you need to to realize that if you're doing too many things there is a price first there is a you know the cost of constantly switching between different things it's Mm -hmm. one thing and which in in many cases could be significant the cost could be significant and there is also opportunity cost Mm -hmm. if you if you devote your time to your let's say main thing Mm -hmm. Then most probably you will be able to grow it significantly more than if you do too many things in yeah, in parallel. And many things and many people don't realize that they they don't realize that there is a context switching cost. Mm-hmm. There is opportunity cost. In many cases, the cost of context switching and the opportunity cost could be significantly higher than the potential gain from from the other things that you are trying to do.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's true, and.
0: It's a little bit abstract. I yeah. hope you
2: I No, I, I understand do understand what I it. Mean. Yes, yeah, I do understand it. Did you feel like um, you're losing, um, how to put it, like sexiness because you're not productizing, because you're focusing on the service business?
0: Uh, it's for every company it's very difficult to to have many successful products Mm -hmm. take Google for example they have the search engine you know and they're doing I don't know tens maybe hundreds of other things Mm -hmm. of course they have Google Maps and maybe some other things but the the search engine is... But the,
2: Google the, Maps is something that they actually acquired from outside. It's I'm not, not something sure. that they built will... But
0: anyway, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. the, the point was that for, for every company, it's extremely difficult to have more than one very successful uh, product. Of course, there are big companies, like Microsoft, they have more, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, they are maybe just one or couple of the products uh, who generate the the biggest part of the the revenue. So my point was that it's extremely difficult in our case being a software services company to to develop other, I don't know, five, ten different different products because you need to have the right focus. That's mm-hmm. why we said, look, we know we are very successful with, with the services that we provide. The company is uh, profitable, growing. Let's focus on what we do best. Mm-hmm. The other things they are very opportunistic
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, if you want to do something else let it be a spin-off or, or something and for in scale focus let's focus on the
1: yeah. on
0: the services you know we have like more than 200 different projects with all kind of technologies it's pretty interesting work for 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 engineers and you know let's let's do that
2: what brings me to my next question you mentioned already in the beginning that you know the primary motivation of uh, a founding scale focus wasn't the financial one. No. I think one of the other um, characteristics of being an entrepreneur is that you want to have an impact on the world. You want to change something. Uh, You're in a way a maverick. Um, Looking back now over the... You mentioned 200 projects currently, but maybe in total there are much more? More. 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 Last, Last
0: year only we did more than Two hundred and seventy yeah. projects, so, and overall, I don't know, maybe thousand.
2: Can you share like maybe about one of the most um, impactful projects that you had? You know, something that you know you feel like it left a mark on on an industry or um, you know the world or or something like that. Yeah.
0: Uh, there are many many such projects. One of the projects at the moment we are doing, and I'm not going to share the details because we have very strict NDAs. I'm
2: sure. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, we are helping a cancer research mm.
2: initiative
0: mm. With, uh, with AI, machine learning, and so on and so forth. So we are uh, actively involved in, in the project in order to, to understand more about cancer and how, how to prevent it. Wow. And that's, I think, it's pretty important for... And it will have a great impact on probably everyone's life.
2: It's amazing. And this is happening from our part of the world. Yes. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I wish, you know... This is why we established the recursive, because um, I think, you know, this huge potential that we have here from this very small country, Bulgaria, okay, and you're now... Um, we are in the region. You are in the region, so you're not operating only football gear. But we also started covering the whole region because Which we saw great. that the potential is there. And still, sometimes I feel like Southeast Europe is like a like a black box. You know, there is so much going on. The region is bubbling with so many ideas and, you know, hustlers who from here... Are literally having an impact on whole industries in the world, and it's not not that many people know it, not even we know that, yes. <laughs> yeah, so these are the stories that we would like to share in the recursive. I don't know how strict your nDAs are, but at some point it would be great if we can share a couple of them
0: of course I, yeah. need, I need to <laughs> check with our legal team what we can <laughs> share what not
2: exactly <clears throat> um so you mentioned um, that at some point you also focused a bit more on innovative projects with your customers, but in order to be innovative, you have to have the right talent yes so what do you look at let's say I think in a junior engineer, there is a lot you can do over time I mean um, you can shape them, yes. you can you know uh, make them fit or you know change their whole mindset but in a senior engineer what are you going to look at when before you hire them before you recruit them so Me personally they, they... i'm
0: always mm-hmm. looking for passion for technology mm-hmm. because if you have passion for for technology then it's i think a matter of matter of time matter of uh having the the right culture if you can enable that person, then you can achieve great things together mm-hmm. so this is the most important quality that I'm looking for
1: mm-hmm. you know when uh, when
0: hiring technical people actually I'm not doing the technical interviews anymore yeah I
1: but guess, yeah.
0: in 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 general this is what we as a company are looking for mm-hmm. someone who who has the passion who likes the work because nowadays you know all software engineers—they are very well paid, and there are some people, you know, who do it just for for the money, which is okay. And do
2: you see that in an interview?
0: Oh yes, of course. Uh, <laughs> of course, many many people, um, which is, as I said, okay and understandable. Mm-hmm. But ideally, we we need people who who love technology, love software development, and love working with other great people.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, recently, I was part of a discussion um, where we were discussing about the transition from junior to senior and uh, what kind of skill set one needs to develop to become really a senior, that it's not just a question of years of experience, but it is it's not. much more. And <laughs> what surprised me is that the discussion wasn't about technical skill set at all. <laughs> it was everything that we discussed was actually related to soft skills you know ability to work in a team the readiness to help a colleague um the the skill to receive feedback and also to give feedback which i never i never looked looked at as a as a skill set before um so i wanted to ask you in this context of uh, you know passion is great but what else is actually necessary for a person to call themselves a senior engineer
0: (laughs) yeah actually I don't fully don't fully agree with you here okay Uh, I believe that great technical skills are the fundament Mm -hmm. without having great technical skills you cannot be senior engineer Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: there are many people you know who 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 can talk great things and explain and then there are no results so to me having great technical skills shows actually the, the result of, from, of your passion because if you're okay. passionate about technology then the result is that you have a great technical skills and here, um, here I would agree with what you said that the great technical skills are the fundament mm-hmm. and then if you want to you know, become a senior or principal or architect, you need to be able to work with people.
1: Mm-hmm. Because
0: actually the, the, the senior guys, they're those who lead. And if you want to lead, then you you need to have also the, the great uh, soft skills, teamwork, how to motivate the others, how, how to help, help others. Because this is how you can let's say, multiply your value as a senior engineer. So there are two ways, I would say. First is being on your own, great software engineers, and we need many of these, We know, who are on their own, who, you know, solve big challenges, who deliver great great value to their companies. Mm -hmm. And this is one way. The other way is, you know, sort of multiplying yourself so if you're a great engineers if you help three other or four other people become more productive and become as good as you are then you're essentially multiplying yourself and you're providing even better value than being only uh, on your own mm-hmm. and i think that's that's a really important skill how to uh, how to be more productive if mm-hmm. you will
2: I wonder how this would change now with uh, the adoption of AI in so many aspects of uh, software development, but also in so many aspects of uh, how do we organize companies? How are we going to manage different types of tasks? Even in our field, journalism and marketing is going to be totally um, different once we uh, start using um, AGI what is your answer as, a, as an organization that is uh, heavily providing services, yes. you know, engineering services to other companies? How are you going to adapt to that? So AI has been coming at us for many years. ChatGPT only made it very visible where we are today. Um, yeah, tell me.
0: I think the whole world will for sure change significantly. Mm -hmm. with the AI revolution, I would say. And at the moment, I think that we are just starting. It will be the biggest technology revolution ever, I believe. And what we are doing is we are investing a lot of, let's say, analyzing and seeing how we can be more productive. Mm -hmm. Basically, the whole idea is how to increase the productivity of of our company Mm -hmm. and deliver even bigger value to the customers. Yeah. So we are doing many things in order to see how, how we can be more productive uh, using uh, ChatGPT. There will be very soon a new version, CopilotX, mm-hmm. also. And we are, at the moment, trying to, let's say, create a, a program for everyone in the company in order to help them get better and be more more productive Mm -hmm. as i said we are we're just starting we don't have a let's say very clear roadmap what has to be done but for sure we're going to invest significantly in uh, in ai for us as a engineering company to be more productive and also for our customers to see how we can help them solve their business problems better with uh, with AI.
2: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there has been a lot that has been said around how AI is going to replace us uh, and you know some of the jobs will become, um, yeah, will not exist anymore and uh, especially for software engineers because all oh, the bots there will be coding for them uh are you afraid of that
0: uh i do believe that many profession professions will uh, i don't know will not be available anymore this Mm -hmm. will happen for sure i don't know which exactly but there will be professions which no longer will be needed because the ai can can do the job uh however I still think that people uh, always will need to sort of steer the, the process or work together with the, with the AI to be more productive. Mm-hmm. So I think that's good. That's great because it will be better for the the overall humanity that uh, most probably they will be no longer uh hunger in the world mm-hmm. people will have more free time maybe we don't need to work five days a week, maybe we'll need to work three days a week or four days a week
2: but you get the same salary uh,
0: <laughs> yes
2: <laughs> or maybe even higher so okay. mm-hmm.
0: so long story uh, long story short i think this this is great uh, what what will happen in the future regarding the software development job I think simply with AI will be much more productive and will be able to deliver more projects, more products, more efficient with less cost and faster. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah, digital transformation at the same time is still ongoing and I think um, it won't decrease. Actually, we will um, digitize even more and more processes in the future. So I think we will need more and more code and uh, who is going to do the code doesn't matter, as long as we manage to manage AI <laughs> in that's, a good way. Uh, that's a yeah.
0: different question. It's a scary one. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, we we will be able to to manage the the AI, because mm-hmm. otherwise, it might become really dangerous.
2: Have you been ever afraid that uh, you know AI might replace you as a as a a leader in a company recently, I've been following an experiment where um, they made Chad GPT the CEO of a company, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> letting it make decisions. It was, it, it's very weird. And then I started thinking, I never thought that you could actually replace me with, <laughs> with Chad GPT, but yeah,
0: <clears throat> maybe not this year, not this year, but it's definitely possible in the future to see. Uh, AI leading companies, mm-hmm. and again, I think that that that's good, yeah, because everything will be more productive. We will have uh, more time. However, we need to be really cautious with, you know, how ambitious the the AI will be. <laughs> and uh, because that this this can be this can be really scary, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And there are some activists, including Elon Musk, who wants to stop the development of the AI for for some time. But I don't think this is realistic. You cannot manage that that process. We need to make sure, and everyone needs to make make sure that AI is safe. I think that should be the top one priority mm-hmm. in terms of what we want to achieve with with AI. And hopefully we'll manage to find solution for AI safety. Because at the moment I don't think there is such solution. Hopefully mm-hmm. there will be something yeah. in the future.
2: Yeah, I think uh, as always, policymakers and uh, regulators are catching up with technology. Yes, And I think no one actually expected that technology would advance that fast. Um, You know, while we were part of this discussion of how AI is going to change the world, I don't think that we really felt like it's knocking on our door. And now I'm thinking that within one or two years, most, yeah, AI will be pretty capable of... um, Developing uh, on its own whole applications and, and systems, and uh, will be able to make a lot of decisions instead of us. I never felt that it's go- that it's that close
0: it is very co- uh, close. Keep in mind that in order to take the the right decision, the most important thing is to have as much data as possible and we humans we don't always have the all data needed to take the right decision. Okay. However, AI has all data in the world mm-hmm. to take the right decision. And from, from that perspective, in many cases, they will be able to take a better decision, or it will be able to take a better decision than we humans. Uh, and that that that's good, because AI can help us take the best decisions. Even right now, very soon, I expect that every doctor will use AI in order to, to help their patients
1: mm-hmm.
0: with, uh, with the right diagnosis, because it's, it's extremely helpful. I expect next year that there will be, uh, let's say, commercial service, which doctors can use to help diagnose people. And which is great, it will improve significantly the health care of the the people.
2: Definitely. Uh, I can definitely help us make data-driven decisions on an even larger scale. Yes. Where I'm a bit afraid is that the concept of good and bad, even between ourselves, is... um, very different from one another. It differs also from one culture to the other one. Uh, We don't have a common concept of good and bad. And sometimes it's very situational. I mean, even if we have laws, even, you know, law can do injustice to someone because the situation, no context has not been taken into consideration. So where I'm afraid is letting AI make decisions without having the principles of good and bad i don't know how do we um, how do we teach ai morality without us having a concept for that ourselves
0: that's a that's a difficult question just to to clarify to go back to my Mm -hmm. previous answer the first step will be that the The AI will help doctors. It will not take the decision Mm -hmm. for the people, but it will help and advise. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, the doctors will be the ones who will take the decision. However, the AI will help significantly. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh, In calculating. uh, Yes, uh,
0: calculating, suggesting. mm -hmm. uh, And whether or not we will reach a certain point where the, the AI will be able to take such decisions completely on its own Mm -hmm. I think so Uh, but it's a very complicated question in terms of uh, in terms of uh, morale safety and many other aspects so I mean we still don't know the answers to to these questions but hopefully with the the progress of let's say AI we we will be able to find the right solutions.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lately, AI has been bringing me also closer to thinking about the concept of God, because in a way, this is what we um, what we see as a quality of God. Sometimes we wouldn't understand God's decision. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not really. Religious in this sense, but I was thinking about, you know, uh, how does it relate together? So, if let's say something bad happens, like, you know, I'm thinking of the earthquakes in Turkey, which was a very, very heartbreaking situation uh, for me. And then you ask, how could God allow this? I know a lot of people who are religious would actually ask the same question and would be angry. And then the answer always would be, well, God is the only one who has the perspective of it all. So we as humans couldn't comprehend all of the context that has been taken into consideration. Or at least this is how a lot of people would explain that. And I was thinking, but this is what will happen with AI as well. At some point, I'm not even sure that we would know what kind of data and context is fed into the algorithms. Yes. And it will be making decisions that, at first, will look horrible to us. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway, it's a, it's a philosophical... It's a
0: very interesting and philosophical mm-hmm. question. I don't know the answer. Yeah. Uh, honestly, actually, some people say that we humans are the biological boot water for the AI. Mm. So we are the ones who need to create it, and then it will rule the world and the universe. Hopefully, this does not happen, but it's it is possible.
2: Mm. Hmm. That's interesting as well. Uh. I'm still uh seeing that you're an optimist about the future. I'm always optimist. <laughs> I'm
1: always optimist.
2: <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Um let's go back to to reality <laughs> um or to the more tangible world. So scale focus. You mentioned that you're even more ambitious than what you have achieved at this point. I'm sure that you won't share. Um, all the ambitions that you have in mind but I'm going to ask you about how do you imagine the situation where you feel like yeah we've done it this is it we, we got to the point where is there a situation no. in time like this? No. I, don't
0: think, I don't think there will be ever situation in time where you know we or every business should say you know we've done it because mm-hmm. there is always competition and you know we, companies are always getting better and better
1: mm-hmm.
0: and if you stop then someone else will take your chair
1: mm-hmm.
0: and then you need to catch up sure. so it's a it's a never it's a never ending game actually the the companies are i would say ev- like in nature there is evolution right Mm-hmm. The same things are is with with business. Some companies die, some companies grow. There are new companies popping up like every day. It's never-ending story. Mm-hmm. So, I I wouldn't say there is a point of time or let's say milestone achieving which you can say you know we we we've done it. No, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Now. What about yeah.
2: uh, you personally? So. <clears throat> Um, Mr. Terziyev speaks a lot about the long tail of uh, success and I know that you're also a very great supporter of other entrepreneurs and you're part of the CEO Angels Club. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you're also a mentor to many other entrepreneurs. Do you feel that at some point you would like to have more time um, in doing exactly that, paying forward and helping others?
0: Uh, I... I love helping other people. Actually, mm-hmm. however, there is uh, also cost associated with uh, with that. Mm-hmm. It's if you remember our previous discussion. Uh, I was talking about focus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So if you're if you don't have the, the the right focus, then there is a cost related to that. Yes. But at certain point, you need to. You need to to be able to to pay back and help other mm-hmm. other entrepreneurs and and other companies as much as you can so from from my perspective, uh, I would say that personally uh, I would continue to do i will continue to do what, what I'm doing mm-hmm. to make sure that I help my company growing mm-hmm. deliver value to customers and and shareholders. And help as much as I can to the overall community, not only here in Bulgaria, but uh, but also in the region. Because when you help other people, you're all also getting better. Mm-hmm. There is a saying that the best thing to learn something is by, you know, helping and teaching other people. <laughs> because it gives True. you another perspective, you know, when you, when you help other people, then you realize some things that you haven't realized before that.
2: True. That's very much true. You've been observing the development of the startup ecosystem now for over time. I think if we have to calculate it, so the first venture capital fund was approximately 10 years ago, so it was around the time when you founded ScaleFocus. Yes. If you have to take a snapshot 10 years ago and a, ten, and a snapshot now uh, of the startup ecosystem, of the IT ecosystem that uh, we have developed in, in Bulgaria, but also the region, because I don't see Bulgarian isolated uh, ecosystem. It is very well connected to the whole region. What, uh, <laughs> tell me tell me about the evolution. What did you observe? Yes. Yeah.
0: I think we've done a great progress. Mm. Uh, the the changes are, I would say, amazing,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and this is thanks to people like Vasil Zarko and many others who are paying back and uh, helping mm-hmm. the ecosystem. I think that's that's uh, really important. Having this mindset helps the whole society and many of the young entrepreneurs. And uh, that's, that's really important in order to improve, let's say, the overall economic situation in our region, the mentality of the people, and, and everything. And I'm, I'm really happy because, you know, right now, if you're very ambitious, if you have a great idea, if you're working 110%, most likely you will be able to find someone, VC or angel, or someone to invest in you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And 10 years ago, that was, that was not the case. It was very difficult to find uh, capital. It was extremely, extremely hard,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: now there are plenty of opportunities.
1: True.
0: However, people and young entrepreneurs, they should realize that the capital is not the most important factor of success. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the capital is just, uh, I would say, enabler. True. You, the entrepreneur and the co-founders, are the most important thing and the most impo- important success factor.
1: Mm.
0: How passionate you are, how hard you work, are you realistic? Do you have the right self-awareness? Having the, the right self-awareness is extremely important because if you know your weaknesses then you can find a way how to compensate them through the other co-founders or through o- other people if you're not realistic if you don't have good self-awareness then then that that's that's not the best case cuz you know you're not doing the best things that you can do for mm-hmm. your company
2: i truly believe that uh, venture capital sometimes is overrated you know Um, especially first-time founders are they they should be focused on 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 raising it but it's like uh you know when we have it and then everything will be solved actually the the real work starts afterwards but i'm occupying myself lately with another question which is uh, more related to how do we use what we have learned in the past 10 years to uh, produce systemically successful companies. So last year, we had the unicorn and having a unicorn is great because it creates a great story. We have also other very successful companies which are not unicorns and not every company needs to be a unicorn. But still, if you look at them, they're a bit of outliers. It's not like we have... um, a factory for successful startups like, let's say, Israel or even Estonia, if we yes. look at them. So what are we still missing in order to reach that level where we can be an ecosystem that creates successful companies with global ambitions on a systemic level?
0: Uh, that's interesting question before answering it. Mm-hmm. I just want to uh, go back and say that Uh, sometimes nowadays because of media you know raising capital is considered as a big success (laughs) Uh, I don't think it it is success Uh, I think it's an obligation Mm -hmm. especially the you know seed capital you know companies that they raised I don't know hundred thousand euro that's great or million
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
0: this is an obligation and trust from from the investor True. And the entrepreneurs need to work really hard to pay off. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
0: I think this is very important for young entrepreneurs to realize because you know, they're just focused on how to raise capital, and then some of them. They believe that after that, everything will be solved it's, automatically and with some magic. You know, it's partially
2: our fault because yes, we. Yes, write wanted to story.
0: give you that feedback. <laughs> you know, you constantly write stories about you know, this company they raised, that's amazing. And, you know, people, uh, people who, most of the people, they don't understand how venture capital works, how, how uh, startups work. And they think, wow, that's amazing, that's great. No, this is just the beginning.
2: You need, need to deliver the results. <laughs> it is just the beginning. And uh, I can definitely say that from experience, the moment when you have closed the deal with your investors, this is where the real work starts. Absolutely. <laughs> and this is where you start. You also know it yourself. <laughs> I also know it myself. Basically, what we do is, um, giving them a bit of the heads up so these people they will be hiring there is someone who trusted them that they have an interesting business model although at the moment at the moment of a pre-seed or seed um, fundraising round you have nothing yes. <laughs> you know, they have just a, a bunch of people who believe in something which is uh, in the future so there is not much that we can say about um, their, the milestones that they have crossed so it is an investment but it's not like that's the success the success is much later yes anyway <laughs> yeah
0: so back to to, to your question um, I think the most important thing to to achieve as a society in order to have systematic success in business in uh, in startups the mentality of the people, mentality mm-hmm. of the, the the startups. They need to know that it will be extremely hard and there will be crazy competition mm-hmm. and they need to beat all of all of the competition or be at top level in order to to succeed. Um, and uh, and also to have the mindset of sharing knowledge. I want to share uh, an interesting story about Steve Jobs. Most probably, you know it. Many people uh, have heard it. Actually, he said that he, when he was uh, 20 years old, uh, he called
1: uh,
0: one of the founders of Hewlett Packard mm-hmm. and asked them for uh, some some parts in order to do, to do some. Some Some things, some electronics, and actually they not only gave him the, the parts but also invited him uh, at the factory to to do some some summer job
1: mm-hmm.
0: and he said, You know if you have problems, just go and ask someone for for help, and if we like what what people in Israel do they really love, help each other mm-hmm. Uh, You know, they're not afraid of asking someone for advice and help. And the other person with the knowledge and experience is more than happy to share and help. If we create this mentality, not only by, you know, some people who are doing it, but if everyone is, is doing people with successful business, if they can find time to To share their knowledge and experience to young entrepreneurs and also if if the young people are not afraid to ask um, I think then we can talk about systematic
2: success Mm hmm Hmm. I like what you said very much it is also very true so yeah often we speak about having dreams and how we need to be a bit bolder um, more ambitious but it's not just that i think if you have global ambitions, you have to be top-notch you have to become better at what you are absolutely and you know that from experience because you've been competing against uh, many international companies so you know what how hard it is but the second part of what you said it's uh it is so true and uh, i think in some ways Sometimes we lack a bit of confidence Um, to go and to ask for advice or help, because it would mean that you're failing, and this is so not true. Um, There is a lot of wisdom that is already existing out there, and before reinventing the warm water again and again and again, you can just go out and ask for it, but we don't do it because we're ashamed, because we're afraid that we're going to be judged. Um, yeah. So, that's an aspect of confidence that uh, I didn't think about. We should think about uh, doing something in the regressive about that.
0: Okay. Thank that you would for... be great. That would be great.
2: <laughs> yes. Um, somehow support this culture of exchange and uh, letting people also speak more about more honestly about the situation where they didn't know and they didn't have a plan. Yes. people <laughs>
0: speaking about their successes and failures as well.
2: Yeah, true. Victor, it was huge pleasure to have you here. Thank you for this interview. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was very honest and very human and uh, I never experienced you like that before. <laughs> I usually experience you. You've in... seen
0: only my fun part. <laughs>
2: exactly. <laughs> Uh, but uh, thank you for being the wonderful human being you are.
0: Thank you. Thank you for the invitation, Irina, and for all the things that you're doing for the community and our region.
2: Next on the recursive podcast, the CEO of the tech company Homesters, Dmitry Alexandrov.
0: In five or 10 years time, it's going to be, instead of going to a property portal, you would just ask uh, Robert, like find me a uh, uh, two uh, properties or five properties that I'll select from one hour drive from Rome,
2: uh, near the seaside where there's a kindergarten nearby. And that's what's going to happen. And then you like it? Okay, uh, book me a, a viewing or connect mm-hmm. me to the agent. That's, that's what's going to happen. But don't you think that we're moving also a bit more to a shared economy where we wouldn't be buying that much? But of course, we would be using no. it, but in a totally different model. Oh, well, that's, yeah? that's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. And if you're just as passionate about innovation as we are, Hit subscribe for the Recursive Podcast on your YouTube or your favorite podcast platform. We're everywhere.